just past 7 o'clock, and we are thrilled to be with you. It's time for Iron Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's going to be a good one. And Ira, it's a little bit weird to see your face. It's been a little while. You've been all over the place. Tell us where you've been. Well, just this past week, I was just in Milwaukee for game four. So it was one of the most exciting games and the exciting atmospheres you could possibly have. But um, flying to Milwaukee today uh, and then going to see uh, game six uh, probably could be the final NBA game of the year, which has been seems like I've been a long year, but mm-hmm. this could be it for the Bucs. Uh, but I will talk a lot about game four because what a what an atmosphere. Um, and again, I went to one, games one, two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, just a great atmosphere to be in Milwaukee. Uh, these t- the team is the town is embracing this team like and it's crazy on TV watching it and it's true it's what it is there it, there's thirty thousand people outside there's the people inside are screaming it's a very college basketball arena in terms of feel so it was great to be there in the atmosphere but Phoenix's atmosphere was great too the two two <laughs> I love these cities I love the fact that people are into these games um, so. You've been to almost 60 NBA Finals games. You know how many final games you've been to, whether it's game, you know, four, five, six, seven, that closed a team out? Um, I have been. That's a good question. I don't know exactly. I'm sure you could figure it out. I could probably figure that out. I mean, I was up when um, Toronto closed it out. I mean, we talk about game sixes. Uh, Toronto, remember, two years ago, they were up 3-2 on Golden State, and I was there at the game. That's when Clay Thompson tore his ACL mm-hmm. at the end of the game, and they closed that out. Um, and then I was at uh, Golden Golden State was up three two one game six in Cleveland. That that's when they won actually won beat LeBron in Cleveland. I was there. I mean, when you lose in the finals at home, that's bad. Like yeah. that is that is the end of them. Of course, the the uh, the I was at Game Seven. I was at the Game Seven in Golden State, probably the quietest arena I've ever seen. Really? Losing Game Seven. Um, in 2013, that's the last time it was two three two. That's what, you're starting to see the benefit. Remember, it used to be this is two two. One one one. Mm-hmm. It used to be two three two, which is a lot easier for me to come. Like I wish they would just <laughs> for do you. that. Yes, I, that was the best thing because I think it is when you're up. When, remember the Celtics a few years ago uh, were up on the Lakers three two. They came back to L.A. and the Lakers won those two. I think if you have the the higher seed, like so, Phoenix would have the higher seed. I think they would like right now to be have two games at home. Yeah. Like, whereas I don't think the benefit of two three. People said, oh, that hurts the home team. No, I think it's better to have those back two end games. And if you're down three two, to have two home games in a row at the end um and then uh that was one of the heat were up three two uh and then they won in 2006 when they won their first title they were up three two they went to dallas and when people think oh you can't win on the road you can win around these teams have all have all won on the road and uh um and jazz when the remember the bulls the famous 1998 uh, jazz game yeah you were there for that series, i was there right? for jordan's last shot that mm-hmm. was in utah they had lost game five at home they were up three one they lost game five to make it three two the bulls did the Bulls go down back to Utah, and then they won game six in Utah. I mean, there were, that wasn't game seven. It was game six when they won. Jordan never played in game seven. So road teams do win game sixes. Road teams do win at this level. Um, so it doesn't mean Phoenix can't do it. But, no, it is ex- to see a clincher, though. I remember when the Spurs beat the uh, Knicks. I was there at that game when the oh, Spurs beat the Knicks. Me. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a game I was at. Uh, but it, it is definitely – when the visiting team, uh, you know, when the, when the home team wins at home and wins the title, we saw with Tampa Bay and hockey, yeah, exactly. that's, that's where this place will totally erupt. And that's why the ticket prices are so high. People want to be there to see it. Well, that's what I wanted to bring that up, too. Um, so <laughs> you're, you're heading to Milwaukee for this game. You don't have tickets yet. And this is not, not maybe not a, a very easy ticket to get your, your hands on. It's virtually impossible. I, I am shocked about the pricing. I've been shocked by the pricing the entire series. The Phoenix... 
I sat upstairs for the first round, first game, and it was like the first row of the upper deck. I love that seat. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't make sense to go down. I couldn't find any like like row twenty eight or thirty of the down. It, the difference in price was too great. But then game two, the prices were down. Were, they went down, and so I was able to sit lower. And I said like row like twenty six uh, behind the foul line. So that was that was game two of Phoenix. So I go to to Milwaukee. Game three was very expensive, totally expensive. So I just figured do another one of those row two upper deck. And then for game four, I'm like watching these tickets and the prices initially were lower. And then you saw things like happening. And then there was like this one ticket row 11 uh, across from the Bucks bench. And I'm like, it's it's cheaper than the cheapest ticket I paid for the whole thing. And I'm like, buy it. Like you you don't even have a second to think. You just go click and it's yours. And it's like whatever. You just think that's what it is. And it was like about two and a half hours before the game. It was a great seat. Actually got into the seat. And then I was, it was like um, seat three, whereas inland is better. Like you have to know where the seat numbers are. So it's better to sit closer, like five or six or seven is better. And then the person I was sitting next to a one and two said, oh, our dad is sitting in row 10. Would you mind moving seats? So, and I'm like, okay, well, who's sitting in front of your dad? I'm like trying to analyze that. But it worked <laughs> out that I actually got a much better seat because it was like row like 10 or 11, seat 10 or 11, but a row 10. So I moved in. So that was a really good seat. And being there in that atmosphere of the games, I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was sitting Nine rows in front of us because he had won the last one 50 years ago. They won the title. Oscar Robertson, uh, David Chappelle, a mm-hmm. lot of this. Is, they did not have a lot of celebrities at the Bucks games. This game had the celebrities. Yeah, I can imagine it's hard to get the celebrities to go to Milwaukee. <laughs> you know, they'd rather be in L.A. or New York um, for some of these games. Why do you think that ticket was was so much um, cheaper than other games you'd pay for for worse seats? Because I think the Bucks. the whole mantra had been, when I was at Phoenix, it was Suns and four, Suns and four, Suns and four. They chanted it the entire game. Well, of course, that didn't happen. <laughs> but when the Bucks were playing it, they kept saying, even after the, the tip-off of the first game, Bucks and six. They just kept saying Bucks and six. That's all they were saying is Bucks and six. So I think people were saying for game four, they're like, well, we're going to spend our money on game six. Yeah. We're not going to spend our money on game four. So that's why the prices went down. But this game six ticket is through the roof. I mean, there is a chance that I'm not going to go. Like, I mean, the point is I got to think that these tickets are going to drop because I just think this is ridiculous. I, they're Super Bowl prices and it's Milwaukee and there's no celebrities. I mean, Super Bowl prices are high because you have a lot of other people coming in to watch the game who don't care about these teams. Corporate well, interest. Besides me, there's very few people that come. <laughs> to this game to watch who's like obsessed with the NBA finals. So the point is that I just don't see the pricing of why the pricing is so high and I just think it will go down. So but if I already, if it doesn't then I don't but there's no way I'm paying what the price We've is. We've been to. doing this show about five years and you've never not gotten it. There's been plenty of times where you went and were like I don't know if I'm gonna get a ticket. Super Bowl Mike. I didn't go. Super Bowl I didn't I thought go. you got did no. you went to every Super Bowl you've tried no, to go? No, I didn't get the last the last <laughs> one in Miami I didn't get I didn't get in that one. But there's been times. I mean I you have to you have to see and this could be I could see where this goes the wrong way like i could see where the prices just go high and there's just no tickets so but the other thing i we talked about earlier is a little bit there are the standing room tickets here are good so that's one thing about being to a, a stadium and walking around and seeing it i've been there twice now i know where the seats are i know where everything is and i've been in the upstairs and downstairs so i have a real good familiarity with this and i know the standing room tickets are not like these horrendous standing room that you can't see anything like i'm tall i'm six two so i should be able on the lower concourse, I mean, there, you, there's room to stand and see this. I mean, there's a lot of people who go down. Like, I, I do think the way the stadium is set up, that there's ways that I, if I had worst case scenario to get a standing room ticket, it still would be a good seat. So let's go to uh, let's go to game four here. Like you said, 
ton of celebrities. People are starting to get interested, and you were, of course, there, and this ended up being a really big win for the Bucks. My pictures are amazing. I have yeah. the I have the Giannis block on there. I mean, sitting People are calling it club. one of the greatest defensive plays of all time. I don't know. I'm not calling it the greatest defense. People can Some say defense. it is. I think LeBron's <laughs> over Iadala was one of the greatest yes. defensive plays. Aiton, if, if you look at my picture on Iron Sports, on Facebook, Iron Sports, Twitter, and Instagram, I have the block up there. But if you look at the picture... It, it, from the picture perspective, it looks like Giannis had position and Aiton just... But Aiton wasn't aggressive with the shot. I mean, it was it was a block because Aiton... The same thing why LeBron's block on Iguodala was so great in Game 7 is Iguodala didn't go up and dunk the basketball. I mean, he mm-hmm. didn't he didn't go up hard and Aiton didn't go up hard. Aiton, had, Aiton has played poorly the last few games. I mean, he had started out... It just see, the, the moment is maybe a little bit too big for him in terms of this game. He's young. I mean, he's a young player and he's not been in this... But the point is that he did not go hard enough to that basket. Otherwise, not, it's going to be a foul or whatever. You don't just block a guy, you know. But you see the picture. Giannis did have better positioning than it seemed like when I watched it. Like, I watched... I took the picture, saw my picture, then I watched it on video, and I'm like, oh, that's a great block. But then I look at my picture again, I'm like, wow, Giannis is really... And I stopped free... You see, Giannis did have position. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this game, because I, I don't want to call anything must-win, because it's not must-win until you, you lose and go home, but being down 3-1 to one here would have really been bad for the Bucs, and, but with the win here, they put themselves uh, kind of in the driver's seat. Yeah, it would have been. Well, I don't think it was in the driver's seat, but I think it would a loss would have... The Suns would have won. The, if, if the Bucks would have lost this, it's over. Like, mm-hmm. I think going back to Phoenix up 3-1 with the fans and everything like that, I think it would have been... I just don't know if the Bucs could have came back from a 3-1 deficit like that and had to win three games in a row in that situation. But I, but considering that it was a, it was a complete must win. I mean, it was, it was definitely a must win for the Bucks. Whereas the Suns, but the Suns, it was a must win for them because if you get that three one lead, then you won the series. Yeah. So it's sort of that whole thing. But I think one of the key things that just to start the game is Booker, um, who had a terrible game three, started with his first shot. He was aggressive. You know, he showed that I'm going to shoot. I'm going to be great. He ended up with 42 points. But what was Booker's problem? Foul problems. He got into early foul problems, and then he just stayed sort of – that was the battle. I mean, he would have potentially had 60 points in this game if he could have just not had fouls. And his fouls were stupid. Mm -hmm. His fouls were the overaggressive. But this is something that Booker has had a problem with is he does get into foul trouble. For someone, he he reaches, he gets – every time in a game, you're going to get a bad call foul. You're going to get something where you're just in the wrong position. But you cannot commit those fouls that are just stupid fouls. Like someone's down the court. Like you can't be the one that just stops a fast break. You're the star of the team. You're just going to score 42 points. You have to stay in the basketball game. You cannot get in foul trouble. And Booker doesn't think like that. And I think that's what cost them really, you know, what happened in the game. Because in that first, I mean, the Suns went out super hot. Middleton was the only thing keeping the Bucks in the game. It was like 12, uh, 12-5 or 12-4 at one point. And they hit another three. But it was like 23-20 after one. Booker at eight points. Bucks were shooting. Nobody could shoot except for Middleton. In the second quarter, again, it was sort of like Middleton uh, had, he ended up having 16 points. Uh, and, uh, and Booker was great. But uh, but the Bucks sort of hang, you know they shot three for sixteen from threes. The the Suns were four for thirteen. But and Booker had twenty points. But it really was the offensive rebounding the Bucks doing. This is what I'm going to the theme of the entire show was this rebounding, rebounding, rebounding. The Bucks they can shoot poorly, and if they shoot poorly, that's terrible. But they get but Portis gets the rebound. Holiday gets the rebound. Giannis gets the rebound. Tucker Conahan everybody rebounds. When you look at the Suns, that Aiton's a good rebounder. But 
Booker gets maybe one rebound a game, mm-hmm. two rebounds a game. Paul's not getting a lot of rebounds. Cam Johnson doesn't get a lot of rebounds. Crowder does get rebounds, but really they're not getting the rebounding. And that's the key thing. When the Bucks are shooting terribly, and boy, do they sometimes go through these where Middleton misses five shots in a row and Holiday misses five shots in a row. But if you notice, they somehow get the rebounds they battle. And at the end of the game, when the game is on the line, they get those rebounds. And that's the key. It's what you love hockey and you and it's the same thing. It doesn't matter how many shots you have on goal, but if you're able to convert those shots and be able to get the if the goalie's just kicking the ball back kicking the puck back and you're able to keep getting more and more and that's sort of what happens is you don't care about your percentage you just care am i going to score you know get the get mm-hmm. the shots and i think the bucks are able you know with the rebounding so even though they played terrible that first second quarter it was still 52 52 at halftime so let's go to the um second half here because this is when they start to distance themselves well it was in the suns were actually the ones who started to distance. the Suns scored the first five points and then booker got his third foul and then you're like, oh, well, it's not so bad. And then Booker at point, you know, he had 10 points in the quarter. He was so hot. But then with, with he got his fourth foul with 553 left. They're up 65-61. And then, but Booker, you know, still stays, you know, he stayed out the rest of the quarter. He was like in and out, in and out. But 82-76, Suns at the end of the third. Fourth quarter starts. Now they're down six. The first play of the fourth quarter, Cam Johnson, three for the Suns. And Cam Johnson has played great. He's from Pittsburgh. His plus minus is terrible. But it seems like every big shot he hits. But then the, when I think one of the key plays, I think Pat Conahan of Notre Dame plays for the Bucs, sixth, seventh man. The play he made is they're down nine. Everyone, it was quiet. It actually, people started getting nervous. Like they're like, we're going to lose this game. It's going to be 3-1. Conahan comes down, drains a three right away. That, that, so now it's, not, it's nine to six. And then with 10.50 left, Booker commits his fifth foul on a loose ball foul. They're up six. But again, like you're respecting Booker's been out the whole third quarter. He should have been able to play the entire mm-hmm. fourth quarter. But now he gets his fifth foul. And there's a question, should you take him out or not take him out? But I think Monty Williams knew Booker is someone who can't, he's continually getting fouls. Yeah. You had to take him out of the game because you needed him at the last two minutes, not these two minutes in the games. But uh, at six with Mark, six minute mark, Crowder was fouled shooting a three. That made it a five point lead. And they bring Booker back with five minutes to go, about five and a half minutes to go in the game. The lead is still like five. So it wasn't like the disaster happened when Booker was out. But they did bring him back, and the lead is five. But the question is, if they would have left Booker in, would the lead been like 12, 13, yeah, you know, knows? by bringing him back? And then Middleton, this is where the key plays for the Bucks were. Middleton misses a shot. But what does Conahan do? He rebounds the ball, tips it in for two. Then the next thing, Portis rebounds. There was another miss, Middleton miss. And then Portis rebounds, Conahan rebounds. They, they just continually rebounding and score. And then at that point, though, one thing that hurt the Suns was Booker got cold. Booker was making every single, like anything he threw up was going to go in. There could be three guys on who was going to shoot. He was so hot. But suddenly being in and out of the lineup, then he started missing a couple shots. I mean, there was a two-minute period of time where nobody scored. The Bucks didn't score and the Suns didn't score. And Booker blocked Holiday's shot with 3.41 to go. That should have been game, you know, the sixth foul. He was still, I mean... It seemed like he was trying to foul out of the game. And I, the refs were like, we're not going to foul you out on that play. Like, that was the Suns. The Suns complain about, about a lot of things. But Booker committed his sixth foul with 341. The refs didn't call it. Um, but on that same play, Giannis got the rebound and then dunked it. And, and that was uh, it cut the lead to 95-94 Sun. And then Conahay, again, we're going to keep mentioning Pat Conahay all the time. Conahan, uh, three, a three-point shot, 97-95. Booker tied at 97-97. And then... Again, Holiday misses a shot. So he was four for 20 for the game, did have a good game. And Crowder took two free throws to take the lead. What does Middleton do? 99-9. Middleton then really won the series because he had a 19-foot shot, and then he had another shot, and that was take it out to 101-98, 101-99. And in between that, 
Booker missed the 19-foot shot, and then Aiton blocked Giannis. So the point is the Suns really had three chances to win this game. They had the Booker miss. They had the Aiton block on, on Giannis. And then after Middleton misses, Holiday offensive, offensive rebound. And then they, had, they still had the ball, and that's when Paul fumbled the ball at the end of the game and, and made a terrible play at the end. So they really had three chances. People are thinking it was the, it's the Giannis block. It was the Paul turnover by Holiday who stole the ball. It was the Giannis block. And it was the Booker miss, and uh, and that was you know that's the end of the game. But it was it was one of those things where I felt really the Suns like the, it was a bad loss for them because I think they had control of the game and I think the Booker's foul trouble really hurt them. And the Suns shot fifty one percent. The Bucks won the game shooting forty percent. Uh, the Suns had seven threes. Bucks had seven threes. Free throws. The Suns never miss free throws. They're 16 for 19. The Bucks actually shot better this game. Giannis at home shoots great. Free throws, 24 <laughs> for 29. And but the key was offensive rebounds. Seven for the Suns, 17 for the Bucks. Big difference. And then Aiton. So Aiton had 17 boards and six points. They're so like, oh well, he rebounded well. One offensive rebound. The Suns missed like 34 shots for Aiton, who's seven foot two, and he's by far the tallest besides Lopez, who hardly played in the game. He's the tallest guy. He's got to get more than offensive rebounds. And uh, Booker was 17 for 48, no threes, 42 points, but he only had one rebound, two assists, four turnovers. And, of course, the, the problem was Paul, who had a, just a, a terrible game, 5 for 13, 0 for 2, 10 points, and five turnovers. So yeah. just he, Paul was just did not play well, didn't seem like he was in the game. And then when you look at the Bucks. I, I'm going to mention the bench people, Conahan. Uh, 11 points, nine boards. Portis, only three points, but five boards, two offensive. Kind of had three offensive boards. When you're getting your bench guys to come in the game and getting offensive rebounds, Holiday was terrible, four for 20. But Middleton had 15 for 33, 40 points. Those two big baskets at the end. And Giannis played another amazing game, 11 for 19, uh, 26 points. He was four for eight from the foul line, 14 boards, eight assists, three steals. And I think one of the key things is what Giannis, what I like, he has become at age 26 what LeBron is at 36. He's just doing whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. He'll run. He'll block shots. He's going to set screens. They don't have to have the ball in his hands at all the times. He'll make the good passes. He is just out there to win. He doesn't care if Middleton scores score at 40. He doesn't care if Holiday scores, whatever happens. He's out there. So He's you have selfless. Totally selfless. And as much as I, you like, I mean, Durant's a better player. Durant's a score and all these other things. But there is something when your star player is playing. Like, he's playing like LeBron. Like, LeBron now doesn't care if Anthony Davis scores 50 points in a game. Mm-hmm. LeBron just wants to win. And it took LeBron a long time yeah, to did. realize that. I mean, that, it's a, it took LeBron a long time to figure out how to play this. And as much as we criticize Giannis for his free throws, he's figured it out. He's running around setting screens. He's like the seventh man on the uh, eighth grade high school team yeah. that's in the game. Is like, I'm, not, I'm just going to help out. I'm just going to set some screens for people. I'm going to run around and get some rebounds and do that. And here's this star player who's going to be the MVP of the world. He's just doing everything. And the, his teammates realize that. And that's why they love him so much. And that's why he's so embraced because he just does everything on the court. But I'll say for this game, again, Portis and Conhead, they're not using like Teague, the rest of their bench, Bryn Forbes, guys that come in. They're using those two. And you talk about depth. In, this, in the playoffs, you don't need 10, 11 guys. You need seven. You don't need five. You need seven. And they have the seven. Their best seven is better than the, the Sun seven because those two guys off the bench are contributing what they exactly need. They're rebounding the toughness. And that's why in game six, if I'm Budenholzer, their, their coach, I'm going to have Portis and Conhey right here. And I'm like, you're, if we get off to one of these slow starts, you're coming in the game. Like in the first minute for Tucker and Lopez or forever I'm going to put you mm-hmm. in. Because those guys, the energy – 
When Portis comes to the game, he might be the second most popular Bucks. He's only been on the team for like half the year, but everyone loves the energy. The, the, the Bucks fans are going crazy when he's in the game, and that's just the excitement and the energy. He was on the Knicks <laughs> coming into play. <laughs> and kind of the same thing. It's the rebounding. It's the, it's the enthusiasm, and I think that was the key and why they ended up winning and, and, and evening the series 2-2. And remember, they were down 2-0 to the Nets. They were down 2-0 to the Nets. Blown out, lost by 51 game, down by 40 another. The whole thing was a disaster. They go, they're losing in game three, and they found a way to win that game. They were with five minutes to go in the game, with three minutes to go in the game, they're losing by five, and they had Durant and Kyrie were healthy for the Nets. They're able to come back and win that game, make it 2-1, then they win 2-2 at home, and then they won game seven. They have, pr- they have proved that they won these close games, whereas the Suns haven't really won these super... No. They won a couple, but this is these high-pressure games. When you're going against Kevin Durant in a game, when you're down 2-0, and you're going against Durant and Kyrie, and you win that, and then you go on the road and you play the Nets at Brooklyn with Durant scoring 50 points or whatever, a million points in a game, and you win that game, that shows that they can overcome these things. And maybe they don't look great all the time, but they've shown the heart at the end of the game to figure out how to make it win. They're bend, don't break, and resilient as heck. And we've, we've been saying that on this show. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Before we get to the next game, I want to just want to talk about the Suns for a second there. This was when everyone was ready to bury Chris Paul now because he had maybe his worst playoff game ever. Were you kind of thinking... This might be the end of the Suns because Chris Paul looks just old at this point. Well, you know, it's fine. So Holiday is guarding Paul, and Holiday's 31, and, and Paul's 36. And, and I, but Holiday, the, the, what they've done, you know, listen to so much. I listen to so much, Doc. But the one point that someone raised is that the decision that the Bucks did is we're going to make Chris Paul work. So when Chris Paul gets inbounded, they it's like almost like high school basketball. Again, high school basketball. They're, in the NBA, you don't see full court pressure. No. Never. And Holiday, which is to, is amazing that he stayed out of foul trouble, but he is guarding Chris Paul from the moment they inbound the ball. And that's one of the questions: is maybe someone else from the Suns should bring the ball up because the, it, it tires Paul out so much to bring. He's the point guard. He's a star point guard, leading assist of all time, and all those other stats and everything. But it tires him to have the ball and has to. And Holiday is played great. So it's, it's even though Holiday had one of the worst offensive games and he's terrible, but his def- defense is was tremendous on Paul, and it sort of worn him down. And there's a combination of I think. I mean, I've se- I was so close. I saw in a couple of plays where he grabbed his wrist and his wrist seemed to hurt, but it doesn't hurt his legs and how to move and stuff like that. But I really think that they are just. It is just one of those things where the Bucks are playing really hard defense. And tiring him out, and 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 that's what happened. There's a lot of factors. What's going into Paul and why he played poorly in the, a few of the games. Now he came back in Game Five and played, and play, you know that he played actually better in Game Five than he did in three and four. Yeah, he did. But the point is. Is he? I, I just I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think it's a combination of old. He, he's older. He's a more injured, and it's just tougher. But this is the one thing when we watch Giannis is tired. I mean, I don't know if you get it on TV. I, I watch on TV, and you sort of get a little bit when you're there. He's he is exhausted. I mean, he is just tired. He's only 26, and he's he's taking himself out. And they're great. Every like three four minutes, he goes out of the game, but he comes right back. He still ends up playing 40 minutes, but he gets exhausted. And you see these players and Middleton and Holiday. They seem like they could play for 100 years. Like, they are not. Those two players, when you have your two, the second and third players, and Booker looks tired in the games too. But Booker, you know, but but Holiday and Middleton are in such 
great shape. And when you have those two players in shape, they can play defense and offense. And that's why Middleton's making these shots at the end of the game because he's in, he's in great shape. And, and I wouldn't say shape, but in a way, shape enough to be able to play hard during the game and stay in. I think that's a big benefit for them. They're not getting tired at the end of the game. So let's move on to game five. And maybe you were tired of flying because you didn't attend this <laughs> No, <one. laughs> it's, my, it's my father's I know, birthday. I <laughs> and I, everyone said, why didn't you go? And I'm like, well, because I'm going to go to game six and I'm going to go broke if I keep going to these games. But also, it was my father's birthday. And it was fun, but it was weird to watch it on. I mean, I've now been to, yeah. this is my third, I've been to 13 playoff games and I've been to now four NBA finals. So it was weird to watch it on TV. And I did catch one thing. I, I noticed a couple things. First of all, is that the ABC pregame show, like their halftime show, I texted this to people. There's no show. It's just commercials. Like oh, yeah. the entire thing is commercials. The entire halftime show and even the pregame show, whereas like Barkley and, and Kenny and Smith and, and Shaq, they talk and there's, there's, they're talking about the game. Like Maria Taylor and, and, and those guys didn't talk about it at all. I mean, there was just no discussion about anything about what happened during the game. It's just weird to see that. And then, I, of course, I don't like Van Gundy and Mark Jackson and <laughs> Reem. And I just hate, you know, the idea is that they, they just keep missing, like, what the rules are and what happens. And they miss what's going on. Like, I don't know what. They're there at the game. Like, they just seem to be missing what's happening. And you could see it. But, again, it was, like, the one game that I had to watch with that. But it was weird watching it on TV, not being there and seeing that. Uh, seeing I, I think where, it was weird for the players. I'm sure some of the people on the Suns and the Bucks were like, where's Ira? Uh, he's, no, he's, no, he's been following no. us. I haven't seen him yet. No, no. <laughs> so let's talk about this one. Chris Paul did have a, a bounce back game, especially. I mean, you, you couldn't go anywhere uh, but up from, from game four. But still, the Bucks. They showed their resiliency, and they walked out of here uh, with the 3-2 lead. Well, that the first quarter was amazing. I mean, the Bucks, the Suns go up 16 points. I mean, I think the first thing, as we mentioned the last game, when Booker scored first. I mean, Holiday, the first shot, had a terrible game, 4 for 20. What does he do? Make the shot to begin. Like, the first play is, mm-hmm. like, make the shot to begin the game. And then uh, Crowder comes in. He, he Somehow, Jay Crowder, when he's the Heat, couldn't shoot threes in that series. But, boy, he is, after that first game, he's just now this three-point shooting machine. And this is interesting. Holiday got two fouls early. But you don't talk about Holiday getting foul trouble because he only got like one more the rest of the game. Like mm-hmm. he never got in foul trouble the rest of the game, but he had two really quick early fouls. Conahay's making threes, Booker's making other threes, and Middleton was off. I mean, they were shooting. They were. They were it was twenty-seven, sixteen. Suns five turnovers for the Bucks. I mean. Middleton, when he turns these turn- turnovers, like he dribbles and he forgets that, he, like he thinks he's playing one on one, and there's players all around him. Just still, when he when they steal it, they go in for dunks. Like he had so many bad turnovers. Um, the Bucks actually, and I give Budenholzer credit. The lead was going out of control. The game was getting told, and Budenholzer just kept calling timeouts. And I thought that was smart. I think sometimes these teams, like, he knows his team's not good enough. It's not Jordan who's going to outplay this. It isn't a regular season game where you're like, oh, I'm going to play through this. He realized this game is falling apart, and he, that's why I just kept calling the two quick timeouts to say, look, we're not going to, we're going to have the lead at 16. It's not going to be 26. And someone, I made this comment, as people laugh at me. What I'm saying is, there's a big difference between 30 and 16. Because when you're at a 30, you're like, oh, sorry, of course. But when you're at 30, it's like the game is over. Because if you get that one run, you're still 16. But that's the point is, I thought the Bucks at some point were playing so bad that even though the Suns play great, the Suns could have been up like 25, 26. They didn't take advantage of the fact that the Bucks were completely out of sorts, had the wrong rotation, everything was going wrong for them. And uh, so it was 37. In the first quarter, Middleton, one for seven. The Suns shot 75%, five for six from threes. And, uh, the, but the Bucks had three offensive rebounds and got six points. Like, if it wasn't for those offensive rebounds, I don't think they would have caught anything. And, uh, oh, and then I, what I hate about TV is they go back after the first quarter and Mike Budenholder is being interviewed on TV. Show the game. I don't care about I the, hate coach the coach interview. Yeah, the, but the, the, and any sport. 
But it but in the middle of the game, like the the action is going mm. on, and then it's like a split screen, and you're, I'm like, I don't need to see Budenholzer, who they taped the interview five two minutes ago. I don't care about that interview. It, why do they do this? Like the, every possession counts, every play counts. Don't have the coaches interview. Second quarter, that's where it all turned. And this is where the Bucks, instead of the Bucks saying, oh, we're going to like, we're down 16, we're whittled to eight by halftime. They were like, we're just going to tie the game in the second quarter. So they came back, Holiday drains a three, 7 0 run. Uh, they cut, the, you know, by 9 30, the lead was cut in half. They ended up going on a 16 3 run after Portis had a three, Middleton had a three, Holiday with a three. It got down to 7.30, and Giannis wasn't even in the game for this comeback. I mean, they're just draining threes without him. And then at that point, Portis hit another three. I mean, Portis and Conahan, I'm just they're just amazing. They just hit the big shots. They get the big rebounds. They're just tremendous. I mean, and Tucker and Lopez are the starters, but I love Portis and Conahan in the game. And uh, But Booker had it. Booker ended up with 15, had it 15 points, and Holiday had 14 points in the quarter. The Bucks were up 64-61 at the end of the second. They had a 19-point turnaround. Holiday, for the first half, 18.7 assists. The Portis had two threes. Conahan had the three. And Giannis was, uh, you know, Giannis was actually minus 11 for the half on the plus-minus. The Bucks shot 58%. Nine for 17 from three, and the Sun shot 50%. But it was the key, you know, Booker had his 15 points, but it was like one of those things where the Bucks did not. That was amazing how they made that run at, at where the Suns fans were probably going nuts and be able to take that lead. I run sports, true oldies channel, Mike Balsamo here. So what, what, what happens next? Well, by the third quarter, it was, it was the Chris Middleton and Devin Booker show. It seemed like yeah. back and forth. I mean, it was like, what I I rewatched the game for the first like five six minutes. It was like Booker hits a shot, Middleton hits a shot, Booker hits a shot, Middleton hits a shot, and it was it was just it was so um, it was just for like the first part of that. But again, it was like then then Booker missed a couple shots, and Middleton made more, and, and the Bucks made some more shots. Suddenly, it's ninety four eighty one Bucks, and at that point, Giannis had twenty points, Holiday twenty, Middleton twenty, and. Uh, Cam Johnson, every time they need a basket, Cam Johnson hits a three. So he cut it to 13. Otherwise, I think that game would have, it would have been blown out. And uh, so after three, it was 100 to 90. So they're up by 10 going into uh, the fourth quarter. Uh, Milwaukee was shooting 62%. So very similar to the game, the previous game, because in games four, the Suns were up. So Suns up on the road by nine. Mm-hmm. So the Bucks are up by 10. And what do they do? And I think this is what people forget. They ended up having a 14-point lead with 8.30 left, and they blew the lead. Like, the game got closed because they blew the lead because Bridges hit a three, Holiday missed, Paul hit a three. That's when Chris Paul woke up in that fourth quarter shooting threes. Giannis, uh, you know, hit a two to make it 110-100. And then there was, like, mistakes like Lopez and Middleton, like, made this bad turnover. And then Bridges hit a three. Paul hit a th- another shot. It just seems like it was just coming, you know, all it was just amazing where they were coming back. But then Middleton, with, like, two, three minutes left, he hit a three and was fouled. It was, like, Four guys on him. It was like made at nine. I'm like, I wrote game over. But it wasn't game over because Paul hits another three. Tucker turned it over. Eight to made it two. So it's 117-112 with two minutes to go. And then suddenly Middleton hit another three. I'm like, game over. But it's still not game over because Booker scores. And then Bucks came down there and wasted three possession. Middleton missed a shot. Middleton Middleton missed another shot. Giannis missed two foul shots. Two foul shots he missed the game. Like, this could have been one of those things where the Bucks, how did you blow this game? This was your chance to – and if they would have blown that lead, wow. I mean, that would have been – it was, like, terrible. But then Paul scores two to cut to one. And then Middleton was trapped, and he he calls timeout. That was smart that he called timeout. But then Holiday ended up missing the shot. And then this is the play where Booker was guarded. So they come down. They're down one. Booker with the ball. He's guarded by Tucker and Giannis. And this is where Devin Booker has got to – 
like this, we you know your star player. I mean, he he's got to realize Holiday's coming there, and now he remember Holiday stripped Paul the last game, or made the ones that caused the turnover last game. Then he strips him, turns, goes up the court, throws it to Giannis. Giannis has the dunk, and Paul fouls Giannis. And all those things that were happening, like they ask Holiday, they go, "Why'd you throw it to Giannis?" Like, why? He goes, "Well, because he's you know he's the freak, and he called for the ball." And why'd Paul like foul? You know, Paul was trying to stop it. You know, Giannis from scoring. But what happened? Giannis goes to the line. So they're up, they're up three. If Giannis, you know, Giannis goes to the line, up three, and he misses the foul shot. But then Holiday tips the ball back, and they get the offensive rebound. So the Suns could not even – people talk about why did Paul foul. It was on an offense, on a foul shot, when Giannis misses it, not – this is like his third foul shot that he missed in a row. And But that for, for them to get the rebound, and then Middleton misses his foul shot, then makes one to go up four, game over then. But it was like one of those things where, again – Booker's, you know, they just did not. The Suns at the end did not convert, and the Bucks, even when they screwed up and made mistakes, they the rebounding bailed them out, and they were able to hold on to win. Um, and that's, you know, it was just one of the things where the Bucks ended up shooting they were like sixty-two percent for the game. It was one of the best shooting performances uh, that you could imagine. Um, uh, Gian, Giannis was fourteen for twenty-three, uh, thirty-two points, nine boards, six assists, and uh, Holiday twenty-seven points, thirteen assists. Conahan played great. He had 14 points again. Portis, 9 points, 3. I mean, it's like everybody contributed. Portis, Conahan, Giannis, Middleton, and, uh, and, and Holiday. Just an amazing game. Paul played better. Paul played well, and Booker played great. But they just didn't get, like, from Aiton. Aiton had uh, 20 points and 10 boards. But just not, I think he needed more from him. Like, yeah. it was just, just, it just felt like more. And they just didn't. Like, Bridges was, like, 5 for 6 for 13 points. Cam, Cam Johnson played well. Uh, it, it was just, it was a very close game, and the Bucks just played a little bit better, but they played better at the end. It's like someone playing cards knowing how to play the cards there at the end. No, you're right. And, and they, you know, Budenholzer gets a lot of flack during the season and during the playoffs for not being, you know, like he's basically has to win the championship this year. He's getting fired, but he's done the right things at the end. And I think maybe, you know, a point you made earlier, sometimes the Bucks just look so out of sort. Maybe that's why people don't look at them like a championship team because they can have that six minutes where they just look bad. And But they, they get it together and they do enough to win these games. Yeah, and, and that's what for game six, like I think the Bucks are going to win this game. They're five-point favorites. They seem to – they seem to figure out the Suns, and, mm. and they have closed out well when they've had to, when they have the closeout. But this is the same team when I was in Atlanta, and they say Trey Young's not going to play. They're up 2-1 with a chance to like end this series, and they end up losing the game, even though Giannis went out in the third. But even without Giannis, they should have beat the Hawks, who had, were missing all their players almost, losing that game. And this is a team that, against the Nets, looked terrible in games one or two. And this is a team against the Suns against one and two that looked terrible too. So I'm not sold that the Bucks like you want to say, the, like I don't. that's why I think Portis and Conahan are going to have to come in this game fast because if they start out and they're just like down 10 nothing because the suns this this is must win for the suns if the suns go out 10 nothing like stop this you cannot let the but that's why i feel like i'm nervous but i feel like the rebounding is the key it just seems like the whatever the bucks play poorly they're able to get the rebounds and just extend their possessions have additional possessions and score and win and that's what and i and but the key is can what can holiday do on defense and they're and they're in playing defense but Look, they, if Middleton is going to score 11 points and Holiday's going to score 11 points and Giannis is going to miss 10 free throws, they're going to lose the game. Uh, any other keys you, you want to focus on here? Maybe like what the Suns, uh, what their game plan should be? I think eight, I think they got to get Aiton busy early. I think they got to throw it into him. I think they've got to work it because I think they got to make... The, the Bucks have got... 
they've allowed to take like they use Lopez whenever they feel like using Lopez. They take Lopez out of the game. They whatever. I think you got to keep. They're gonna. I think that would go. I would go to Aiton much earlier than they normally do. Get because I, he seems to be someone. If he's not in the game early, then he just like disappears. I think they got to throw it into him. They got to force it that way, and then they got to keep Lopez in the game. And then when Lopez is out there, they use the whole pick and roll thing where Milwaukee switches and get Lopez to guard Booker and Booker and Paul start draining threes and all shots and everything like that. So I think the key, though, is for them to get Aiton involved early. I would not pull Bridges out. I like Bridges in terms of the rebounding, uh, and I think it, but I think that in, but the point is, I really think Aiton is the key. I think if you see a game where Aiton has like 15 rebounds and 30 points, they won the game. But I think if he has another six points, 15 rebounds, 14, it's just he's got to get involved because if he doesn't get involved, then everything is going to be perimeter, and they're going to just depend on shooting from Paul and uh, from Paul. And I would also have someone bring the ball up. I think that Paul is a little tired, and I would not. I would have him. I would have Bridges bring the ball up. Have Booker bring the ball up, mm-hmm. but do something. Not don't have Paul to uh, Paul be tired the whole game. Iron Sports True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's switch gears. We had a major over the weekend, and Ira, we've had so many uh, Saturdays and Sundays where we'll text each other and say, man, this is a really good leaderboard here. We might have a great day of golf. And I feel like this year they really haven't panned out. We've seen a lot of uh, Sundays and Saturdays fizzle out and one guy runs away with it. Not the case with the Open. We got a good, good uh, Saturday and Sunday. I thought the Saturday and Sunday were great. And Colin Marikawa now winning. I mean, the fact that when you're compared to when the stat is this, he's now been in eight majors, one, two, and no, one's done that. and no one's done it since not Tiger Woods. So that's the thing Tiger hasn't mm-hmm. done. Tiger it took him like nine or ten to yeah. win his two. But even though he was younger, was playing. There's a lot of other things Tiger will say. It's not really whatever. But when you say Bobby Jones and Colin Marquez, so Bobby Jones is the one who invented the Masters, and yeah. he didn't have all the Masters to play in to have the, the tournament. But uh, it was just it was, and you and you analyze in 2019 Marquez. He was 35th in the U.S. Open. But then in 20, he was uh, 44th in Masters, but he's first in the PGA. And in 2021, he's eight. How about this year? 18th in the Masters, 8th in the PGA, 4th in the Open, and that U.S. Open. And now he wins the British Open. Uh, just just one of these things where – and I, 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 I text my friend. I'm like, you know, he's not popular. Like I go – I saw him at the players, and nobody was following him. Yeah, like on weird. a Sunday. Like even if players are out like on a Saturday and Sunday, and they're not really in the mix. Like if Phil Mickelson is in like last place – on a Saturday, Sunday, he's going to have a huge crowd. Yeah. There was like five people. I'm going to call him a car. Like nobody. Was, I'm like, wow, he's a star. Like he's one of the top ten golfers in the world. And nobody is following him at all. Like mm-hmm. Xander Shoffley has more fans than Colin Makara. And I'm like, I'm surprised with that. And you wonder, like, after he won, is like he's this great young golfer. And you're like waiting for it to sort of happen. Where, but he was able to hold off. I mean, it was like really Louis Olsen, uh, Jordan Spieth. Uh, uh, and uh, and and Colin were like battling it out for like three. It seemed like for the last three days, and yeah. Spe- to have Spieth in the mix. And I feel bad. Spieth played great on Sunday. Yeah, and I just and I feel bad because um, I told everyone Brooks, and I but I like Spieth also. I thought when you said who plays well at the British Open, and, and now from now on. If you're, if you're going to bet the majors, you bet Louis because he's always going to be in the mix. He's been in the mix almost every he's now his ninth top three in a tournament so in, the, in the majors, and he's won one too. But and Spieth now is always in the in the mix. You got Brooks is always in the mix. Rom's always in the mix. So those are the people who just got to bet in the mix and, and to, to bet R- Rory and Justin Thomas and DJ and Bryson. It's, it's they're hit the, or miss. They're totally hit or miss. But if you're just like when you're making bets. 
Rom is always going to be in this mix, and Brooks is always Brooks gonna, is always they're gonna not going to win all the time. But if, the fact is, on a Sunday, you're seeing well, Brooks. If he if Brooks would have played better on Saturday, like those are these are there's like four or five golfers that it seems like, and you're going to put Colin there too. It's like you know what he's going to be in there. Down. You got to put there's going to be some golfers that are going to be in and 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 just. I don't care how well they're playing. I don't care if they were last yeah. in the last three tournaments. We're going to a major. They're going to figure it out. No, you're exactly. You had said that to me after the fact that some of these guys. It doesn't matter how good you are, week in and week out. Some people just don't show up for the majors. And the, these certain this, these handfuls like the Brooks Kepkes of the world. He's always going to be there. He was so mad that he didn't win this tournament because of his uh, what he should have seventy two on Saturday. He knows that this tournament was, was within his grasp, and a lot of guys would be thrilled to to leave with four hundred thousand dollars in a sixth place. Brooks Kepka was mad about what happened at the Except tournament. Except my friends that bet him to be in fifth place and then <laughs> lost that thing. But but analyze it. Look, Dustin Johnson is thirty seven years old. He's been number he's uh, number one in the world like the last two three years. And he's won two majors. It's, Colin McIlroy is 24. He's won two majors. Justin Thomas, 28, one major. Bryson, 27 years old, one major. Rom, 26, who's this great young golfer? One major. Now, Jordan Spieth, 27, three majors. Rory's 32, four majors. And Brooks, 31, four majors. And now Colin at 24 with two? I mean, that's like... You know, I'm not saying I'm not trying to say, oh, he's going to have this many and da da da. But I mean, he's when you're up two, you probably think he's he had, at 24, he's probably going to get three or four more. You think maybe. six is, yeah. should be the over under? Oh, easy. That's where it's going to be. But that's where like he's in and he's in the mix. Now you're seeing that he's in the mix of these majors and he's able to close out and win. It's one thing to be in the mix. I mean, Louis Olsen has one major and he started, and people say, well, that is his last chance. Well, he's, he's what I think Louis is like 36, 37. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's going to be in the mix again. He's not 55, yeah. 56, and he knows how to play these. He's in these. It's just that he's, you know, had, again, you, when you bet on these guys, you just want someone, are you going to be in the mix at the end? And these guys, are, seems like the same group is always in there. Now, there's yeah. always somebody else that comes in, but it's just these stars like Speed. You're going to get a Dylan Fratelli in there. Yeah, you're going to get Dylan <laughs> Fratelli. It's going to mess up when you're trying to get in the yeah. top five and stuff like that. But, but it's like, you're not seeing like the Shane Lowry won the British Open. And I know he, but there's a situation where that will happen, but you're we're really seeing in terms of who's winning these majors, the better golfers win. Now Hideki Matsuyama wins the Masters and stuff, and he had a one before, and maybe he had been more in the mix. It wasn't in this tournament, but I, I just think we just named those four or five golfers. I think those are the ones. I'm just I don't care who. Like, I'm going to put my master's bets in for next year. Those guys. I'm not yep. going to think about anything. I don't care how they played. I don't care anything. That's who I'm going to bet. So a good stat from Morikawa is, like you said, he's he's won two in, in eight ter- ter- tries. But he's also the only one to ever win the first time he played in the tournament. And the better stat, though, Brooks Kepka, in his last 16 majors, has 12 top tens. Un- that is unfathomable, Ira. And like you said, go ahead and just bet him now for the Masters. It's you might o- as well. Only Jack and Tiger are even in that ballpark. Yeah. It's just unbelievable how Brooks, and he just goes in there, and, and even this tournament. And I like the fact, he he has so much Tiger in him, it's crazy, because even on a Saturday when he shot that 72, and most golfers would be like, I'm out. He comes on Sunday and shoots that 65, and he's like in the, and he not just shoots 65, but those are birdies early where he, he was yeah. putting pressure, and he had four putts lift out. He could have been at that level, and like, it's like, ah, oh, so you're so close. I mean, finished at eight under, he could have easily been 12 under and sort of been in that mix and yeah. put that pressure. But I just like the fact that he, just, he goes for these wins he loves the tournaments and loves playing him and i think that's great and you know let's talk about bryson for a second i guess i think we have to talk about bryson now, obviously we know about what happened with him and uh cobra and it's not looking good he came out and bashed his equipment 
which is just – and then I love that every golfer on the tour basically had something snide to say to him about that. Like, they ripped on him for something. And, you know, Brooke shows up, my driver's feeling great today. You know, just little things like that. But Bryson, he's really playing up the, the enemy here, and he's not playing good golf at the same time. Can I pat myself on the back for another prediction I made? Yeah. I said Bryson, when fan, with fans, is going to have a problem. And I, and I think we're seeing it. I think we're seeing that he won his U.S. Open at Whistling Straits. There wasn't a person on that. And when he had this emergence where he got the strong, there was no fans, there was no nothing. But I think he, he can't handle these fans as well as these other golfers do. And I'm not saying everybody handles it, but I think the fans are getting to him. And it, he could have 90% support. Like, not, like, the one thing about Tiger is, Tiger has a million people supporting him. He's out there. He, Tiger hears the people booing him. Tiger hears the cat calls. It doesn't matter. Tiger just loves the action. Tiger loves, Tiger is like Yankee Stadium. I want it loud. You know, I remember at the Genesis when he says, why? There weren't that many fans that one day. It was packed, but it wasn't like he was concerned. <laughs> like he knows that he wants tons of fans. But Bryson does not want that. He doesn't like that. And I think that's affecting him. And, and to come out and say, I play great. My driver stinks. And then I like what Cobra did say. We're paying you millions of dollars to play our club. And and you've changed it five times in like six days. Mm-hmm. It's not our fault. We have people working, not sleep. You know, it was one thing for I. I've never heard an equipment manufacturer no. come back and say, "Look, we're trying to work with you on this. <laughs> we have people that are working night and day, doing everything just to help you. You keep changing it. Just don't blame our equipment. Talk about the team and stuff, but just to go blame the equipment. Now I know that golfers have to say. Well, it's not me. It's something else, and to keep their confidence up. But to throw Cobra under the bus like that, and I like that Cobra came back and said, "No, it's it's we're helping you. You just you know be." I mean, they, they had to understand that when they said that he was going to say back, but like we're paying you millions of dollars. Like, don't say that. Well, it's funny that Cobra. You know, they really only have two guys on the tour: the most likable guy, Ricky Fowler, <laughs> and the most hated guy in Bryson. And yeah, it was, it was. I didn't expect them to snap back the way they did, but they yeah they they put him in his place. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're dropping him at some point. So let's talk about the tournament, though, because this was really – we saw Louie and, and Colin basically from, from the get-go take take control here. And Spieth. I mean, the first day, Louis shot a 64, Spieth shot a 65. And on Friday, Marikawa started way earlier. Now, that's one thing they were talking about with the British Open. I saw some people discussing it, is that they really – there's a push, and I could see this maybe happening, is that because the weather changes so much, and it wasn't so great at this tournament. And remember when Tiger had his chance to win the another, like, Tiger Super Slam, and he didn't because the weather got so bad it's because the weather changes like have them come out the same times have the two groups because it really gives the benefit to the person that is oh did you so we're the morning it wasn't as great this time but i think there is this push to say let's have you know some golfers start at one some start at 10 and have the tournament more compressed and not have an afternoon start where people start five hours later when it's now instead of being bright and sunny and 65 it's 55 and 30 mile an hour winds and torrential downpour so i i started to see that but but Marikawa went out early, shot a 64, went to, had a five, at one point had a five-shot lead, and then Spieth got shot a 67, and Louis, you know, shot, you know, actually took the lead at 11 under. Uh, DJ shot three straight birdies, ended up with a, with a 65. Rom 60, had five under, Kepka five under, and F- Fowler and Bryson just made the cut line, and McIlroy was even par. I mean, Rory, everyone again, these, they're saying British Open, the bet, money goes on him, and he's he was, just... He was one of the betting favorites. Yeah, and, and just nothing happens, and then Terrell Hatton, you saw where he broke his club, where he went and had yeah. a club and then he broke it and then I'm like, wow, you just broke your club. He was mad about that. And he missed the cut by one. Jason Day missed the cut. Patrick Reed missed the cut. Gary Woodland missed the cut. And Phil, who shot at 80 and then shot at 72, um, he missed the cut. But I think what I think going into the going into Saturday, I mean, again, you're starting to have a sense that wow, there's you know Dustin Johnson is in the mix, Rom's in the mix, Kepka's in the mix. Like what's going to happen? Then you have you have Spieth and you have Colin and Louis still there. So it looked like it was going to be just totally. You're waiting for the people to make the run. 
Yeah, and the even guys like, you know, Daniel Berger, Victor Hovland, Lowry is a winner, uh, Finau, Sergio. There's a lot of names in the mix here. And uh, it, it gives me more um, more respect for Morikawa that he didn't have to hold off one guy. He had to hold off half the tour here, and he did. Right. I mean, and then on Saturday, the funny thing about Saturday, I don't know if you saw at the beginning, is that so Bryson finished up his round, and Brooks was starting because Bryson was so far behind that he actually you know, just made the cut. So he went to the range, and Brooks was there. So they were, like, <laughs> next to each other. Like, you're waiting for them to start. It. it was almost on purpose that they were doing that. And uh, But Bryson had another bad day on Saturday. It was plus three for the tournament. And at one point, Louis, Spieth, and Morikawa were all at 11 under. Uh, and then he ended up... Uh, uh, Olshausen shot a, you know, uh, uh, he had a key par, uh, two bo- two birdies, par save, and was able to keep the lead at 12 under. Markow was at 11, and Spieth uh, shot a 69, uh, uh, so to be at nine under. But it was, and Rom was at seven. But the, where I was mad is Brooks. I mean, Brooks started the day at five under. And I'm like, what, shoot, like a 67, 68, yeah. be at eight, be at four or five strokes back. Instead, he's now three under. So he just took himself out of the whole tournament. And Dustin Johnson had five bogeys to start the round. He ended with two birdies, but shot a 73. He took himself out of the tournament. So DJ and Brooks both sort of took themselves out with those with bad early starts on a Saturday. Spieth may have unknowingly taken himself out by bogeying 17 and 18 on Saturday. One was just a terribly short missed putt. But that's something, obviously, he, you know, two strokes would have been a, a real big difference on Sunday. Well, remember, Louis at 12, Morikawa's at 11, Spieth was sitting at 11. He goes into the 17. Uh, first of all, on, on, on 14, he was like putting for Eagle, and he somehow parred that, mm-hmm. which is, should have been, it could easily have been a birdie. Then on 17, bad bogey. And then on 18, you're just finishing up. Everybody's had their hats off. They're ready to shake hands. And he misses a, a one-inch putt, and that's another stroke. So he dropped really like three strokes there finishing. So now he's three strokes off. The, he should have been tied for the lead yeah. really after Saturday. And it's a totally different Sunday. Then. And then instead of shooting a 69, say I'm having the 69, but it really should have been 66, 65, and then you're, you're in the lead for that. Supposedly he took his putter home with him. And, like, slept with the putter Saturday. <laughs> That's what they said. He showed up on Sunday with the putter in hand. Well, supposedly he ran. Well, I saw where after he missed the putt, he just ran to the to putting, the, the putting <laughs> he green. He just, like, ran to the putting <laughs> green. Didn't do any interviews. Didn't do anything. <laughs> so let's talk about Sunday. I mean, it, this was it, – it wasn't the most epic Sunday final of a major we've ever seen, but it was darn exciting. Well, Brooks got out – I think what made – for me, Brooks got out super early, and, and, and he had an eagle and three birdies. So suddenly he's at eight under, and you're like – He's at eight under. Let's put some pressure. And he's so far. I like going someone. So now you're watching Brooks. I'm watching every shot. And I'm like, can he get to 12 or 13 and mm-hmm. put some pressure? Because you're seeing, well, he's playing great and other people aren't. But he stopped. He missed like four easy, not missed, but just lift out like from four putts. So he wasn't able to get it. Uh, Louis bogeyed four and seven, dropped to 10 under. And Spieth tied him at 10. But Morikawa, he birdied seven, eight to nine to get to 14. And when Spieth finally birdied 15 uh, to get to 13, Morikawa went up to 15. So it was always a two-shot lead. He had a two-shot lead the entire time. And he sort of really cruised home. And Rahm, at the end, had four straight birdies. Again, another one he had to get to 11 under, but it was a little too little too late. So he finished with 11 under. But Morikawa, it was exciting because I think at the beginning of the day, because of Kafka and everything, but I think it was at the end. By the end, Morikawa was able to hold. And that's it. He didn't choke. I mean, he's now had two lead. You know, he's, he's now won two majors, and he, and he could have choked. I mean, he had... Mm-hmm. So he had Spieth right behind him, and he didn't. And he didn't blow the lead. What was it thirty-one straight holes without a bogey? I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing you need to do to, to win these, especially when. I, I know that Spieth has a tendency to break down on a Sunday at a major. It wouldn't be the first time, but he kept coming. And at one point, he was one stroke behind him with like five or six to play, 
And that's what I'm starting to think. Like, if Morikawa's better have some ice in his veins. And he, and he did. He closed out strong. Congratulations. And he didn't. And he just played smart. He played Tiger-like. I mean, that's another thing is he just played. Yeah. He didn't put himself. He wasn't Phil-like in terms of making – he's so young, and you're, like, waiting for him to be more aggressive. He just missed. He played it safe. He kept the lead. He just knew what he was – he played really great golf that last – those last few holes. Because, it's of course, we've seen at the British Open, I and mean, this one kept saying, it's like everyone, you know, Van Velde. I mean, they blow five-shot leads on the yeah, finals hole. Stu Van Velde. You know, the, the crazy things – could happen and and work how didn't let that happen so what's uh what's next for golf the olympics are up and i'm like i was like looking like when are the olympics gonna get played so the olympics are like next weekend and you're like but they're in the middle of the night like really yeah. like you'd have to get up between 12 and 6 in the east coast you will i don't you know i i will i will watch it but i'm not gonna stay at three in the morning to watch this but it, it is not for i'll watch like this the final round but it is gonna be weird with the Olympics being so often, someone now they'll put it on tape delay. But I'm someone who like checks his phone every second about sports. Yeah, there's just it. no way. Like there's uh, so much going on with football and everything else. I'm not going to not watch it so I can watch the Olympics on uh, whatever. So <laughs> it, it, so I think the Olympics, no one's going to watch it. It's going to be something no one's going to watch because it's the middle of the night. And then you have the World Golf Championships a couple weeks after that, which is a big. Go- then Northern Trust, BMW, and the Tour Championships. There's really four tournaments left the rest of the year. So it's been a fast year, and we'll see what happens coming down. But uh, but uh, the Olympics will be it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen in this but um I'm I, I can't believe people are going to be watching this at three four in the morning it's it reminds me you know the episode of Seinfeld where he tapes the Met game and he's telling everyone don't say anything I'm watching <laughs> on delay you can't do that these days because your phone is telling you constantly so yeah you're going to wake up and see what happened anyway and then it's like do I want to go back and watch it I think you'll be getting up because well because training camps are starting with football so you're going to have those Aaron Rodgers coming yeah. and going is this where's Deshaun Watson then you have the NBA free agency and the trades with that like for you to say oh I'm not going to do that and, and then and when NBC shows it I that's what I I'm not into the Olympics so much because first of all I know what happens and I don't like watching live and also I don't want to see someone doing something and like oh let's tell you our backstory about him and let's tell this or that like just show me the event i don't mm. need to know like a 10 minute <laughs> thing about where they're from i mean it's nice to know that and it's good it gives context because we don't know these pe- people but the point is that if you just know what's going to happen it's just not as exciting it's ira on sports true oldies channel and mike balsamo just about uh, 10 minutes or so here left to go ira home run derby was over the weekend and or over uh, last week so i don't know why the Midsummer Classic used to be like my favorite. I loved the baseball All Star Game. Now, for me, the Home Run Derby kind of overshadows the game. I think a lot of people feel like that. It was a great derby, and the only bad part was Pete Alonso showboating to me. You didn't like it? He's just too much for me. Maybe because because I'm a Yankee fan, and it's just seeing a Met guy up there having the time of his life. But I I don't know. I just it seemed tacky to me. I, I thought it was. I mean, it, the one thing first of all, Soto and. Uh... And Otani battling out in that first round was, was exciting. Cool. Now, yeah. I watched it at a bar in Milwaukee with a sports writer for the Arizona paper and oh, whatever cool. the talk show host. So we were talking, but we didn't have the sound on. I think they were playing like something for the Bee Gees song. For, it seemed like <laughs> we had like two hours of Bee Gees songs. I could not find a bar that put the sound on. There's That's nobody weird. would put the sound on. They have a zillion bars in Milwaukee. And like, please put the sound of the game on. And it's like nobody. I went to a place that had like 50 TVs. They're playing music. It's unbelievable. So it's hard. I felt I found it very difficult to watch because I, they, the new rules are that you could just keep swinging. You don't have to wait for the ball to land. Yes. It used to be the ball landed and then you swing so they were just swing 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 the entire time and i don't know what's going and what the numbers are and the the, the board was so confusing and i wasn't hearing it live so i i didn't like the fact that i was just and i was reading some people talked about it, it i thought that was weird it was too much going on but i i think i mean it's a home run hand cutters i think alfonso could could have some fun with it i mean i don't i didn't think i think soto was upset when he beat him like i think you saw soto was like but i think i don't think people had fun I, it was oh they definitely had fun I, i'm with you i don't like the format 
I would, I would prefer they go back to 10 balls, you know what I mean, and everything that's not gone isn't out. I don't like the unlimited swing potential thing, taking timeouts when you want. It's just it's changed so much, or maybe I'm just looking back. And at, I don't you know, understand the extra minute classes. if you have a forfeit. Like, yeah, the, the, like the extra minute, like I don't know if – like I didn't know when some of the rounds were you going to have the extra minute not, and it just seems like it wasn't – you couldn't enjoy the big home runs because they're pitching other balls. Yeah. So they were throwing – like you wait for the ball to land. I like that rule. Wait for the ball to land and see where it goes and then have another one. Remember no. how exciting Josh Hamilton was in I Yankee was there Stadium? For, I was there were you for that. That was, was amazing. Yeah. But it's because they're waiting. And back, 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 another one. It, it, it took, yeah, it takes At a little point, bit of the Alfonso, drama. At one point, Alfonso had, I think, eight home runs in a row, but we didn't get it because it just happened so quickly mm-hmm. that you didn't get the sense that it's just growing and growing and growing. And that's why I didn't, I didn't like. It. I mean, it was a good. I mean, you know, it was a great for Alonzo. I thought Otani, you know, having you're know, losing in the first round but still competing. I mean, some of these other big stars weren't competing in this, and that was Mancini for Orioles overcoming cancer, making yeah. it to the finals. I think that I wanted was him great. To win so bad. And he was, and he started out great. I mean, he had he he put a big number out there for Alonzo. Alonzo now has won back to back. And but you're like watching Alonzo. You're like, why is he hitting? 50? He hits just like so effortlessly. Mm-hmm. But then why is he hitting 50 home runs a year? He's not. I mean, he's a great home run hitter. But you, I don't know for some reason I just think he hits more. Should hit more. That, I think that's part of it too, Ira. That compare. You know, he had 51 home runs two years ago. This year he's bad. I mean, he, he's hitting like 220. He's on pace for like 35 home runs. Why are you celebrating this much when you can't do it on the real field? Um, <laughs> this got, is the Yankee fan coming. Yeah, now, yeah, now, now it's a little Yankee. Got about five or six minutes left here, Ira. Let's talk about the game itself. Well, it was like the least watched game that you could imagine. Yeah. No, it was like 8 million people compared to like 36 million in 1980. But really, it was like the, the whole was Otani started the game, uh, and then he was the lead, let off the game. So he mm-hmm. pitched, got one, two, three. He had two, was 0 for 2 hitting, but to have a pitcher, have someone hit, pitch and hit, and also first time it ever happened, it was pretty cool from that perspective. And Vladimir Guerrero hit a home run in the third. He's the third uh, father-son. Uh, Bonds and Griffey's uh, father and son did that and won the MVP. So... The game itself was okay. I mean, the American League seems to, again, dominate. It's like this weird thing where they've now won like what, eight or nine in a row in these games. It is crazy. Did you see why Dave Roberts started Max Scherzer? Do you see the reasoning? And I know I did not see the reason. You give Dave Roberts a lot of uh, flack, and he, it's rightfully deserved. He said because Washington had won two years ago and kind of got, you know, they got gypped out of a, a All Star game the year prior. He wanted it as like an homage to them winning. Let Max Scherzer go out there and throw the first, um, you know, throw the first inning. So I thought that was pretty cool on, on the Dodgers coach part. That was nice. Yeah, I thought that was a, n- a nice gesture there. Um, anything else going on in baseball you want to talk about? Well, I do want to talk about Yankees Red Sox. I mean, that they have some. I think the fan threw the ball against Verdugo of the yeah. Red Sox, and uh, when they th- Verdugo tried to throw it to a fan, the fan the fan throws it another to a Red Sox fan, but a Yankee fan gets it, throws it back. That caused a whole issue with throwing yeah. the fan back. But, yeah, the Yankees played, you know, they won two games or uh, this weekend. So that was a 3-1. I mean, there was an issue about should the game started because it rained on the one night. Mm-hmm. Whenever the Yankees, Red Sox, there's controversy, things happening. And all I know is that the Yankees, they're hanging in there. They're not becoming sellers. They won a few games, and now they're they are not ready to – if the Red Sox came in and swept them, then this would be completely different. The, uh, their starting outfield yesterday was guys before the season started I'd never heard of. <laughs> How often does that happen? And then you have the Mets. They blew a 6-0 lead on Saturday to the Pirates on a grand slam, and then they came back in the Pirates on Sunday. Day, blew a six of the league. The first time in the history of Major League Baseball that happened. Um, and really, it's 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 it, I, I'm I'm starting to get pumped about baseball because I think when I was in Milwaukee and saw that like you liked how Milwaukee's playing in Chicago White Sox and the Astros. I'm thinking these markets that are really doing well. You're starting to see it. The Reds are are, are thinking there might be in the mix. So so they're they're playing well. And then certainly the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants. I think you're getting it now. The, now with the Mets and the Yankees. Baseball nationally is not a big game. People don't care nationally. They're becoming very much like hockey. 
you know, like they love their local teams. And uh, so, but I think there's so many good teams that are in the mix that I think it's, that's where the energy from baseball, we certainly here in South Florida, the Marlins are not in it. So there's no energy that way. Yeah. Jazz Chisholm, their uh, young star actually might have a pretty serious injury too. We're waiting to hear on that. I think he's getting uh, MRIs today. Let's go to horse racing. Cause this was, you were, you were going crazy. This was a hectic. We're on the road to the Breeders' Cup now. This is win and you're in races for the Breeders' Cup, and it was a little bit of a disaster. Well, Monmouth is a is a great course in New Jersey, uh, course uh, racetrack in New Jersey, and it ha- tends to get a great field for these these events. I mean, that Hot Rod Charlie, who was third in the Derby and second in the Belmont, Mandaloon was second in the Kentucky Derby, but who could be one if Medina Spirits finally gets disqualified, Vacated, yeah. and then he won the Pegasus in Monmouth, and you had Midnight Bourbon, who was sixth in the Derby, second in the Preakness. So you have these three horses that all really ran well in all, in all the all the, the Triple Crown races, but uh, Falling Sea had this early lead. But then Hot Rod Charlie, he was on the outside of Midnight Bourbon, and Mandolin was on the inside. And somehow Hot Rod Charlie changed lanes. And it, it, when I watched it live, Midnight Bourbon, it didn't seem like what happened. Midnight Bourbon just you know sort of didn't fall, but sort of tripped. The jockey, uh, Paco Lopez, fell off the horse and just hard fall. And then it looked like the horses behind him like hit him. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what happened? And then it ended up, Hot Rod Charlie wins the race. So it was right, right at the end. And, and and Midnight Bourbon did not have a horse on, a jockey, so it was disqualified and over, by a neck over Mandolin. And then they're trying, like, what happened to Paco Lopez? And then it was like radio silence. I couldn't find what happened. Is he alive? Is this and this and on that? And they would show a replay of the race. I mean, it was the craziest thing. They finally disqualified Hot Rod Charlie because you could see where when he turned, when he moved, he actually moved into the, the lane and where that the, got the horse. So that's where Midnight Bourbon clipped. And it ended up Paco Lopez just like hurt his knee, like slight little knee injury. I could not believe, but they... I was just so I'm like texting everyone. What happened? This is the worst accident I've ever seen, and it's amazing that Paco Lopez did not get injured. It just it seemed like he was getting run over by four other horses following through him. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's talk a little NHL here because I think people are confused about how expansion teams come in, and they've changed this recently. So you get to protect a certain amount of players on your team. Then the expansion teams get to pick players off your roster. They can choose whoever they want that's not protected. This has caused a lot of uproar with Vegas because Vegas came in, immediately got Marc-Andre Fleury from, the, from Pittsburgh. So they got a Stanley Cup caliber goalie. They got Matt Stone, who is a, a number one center. And they went to the Stanley Cup finals as a, in their first year in existence. So people are like, this is crazy. We can't allow this. It's about to happen for Seattle. And Seattle is probably going to end up with getting Carey Price, who we just saw in the Stanley Cup Finals, and probably get Vladimir Tarasenko, who's one of the best forwards in the league. They're, they, I don't know if there's a better way to do this, but this is how it is. And whether it's salary cap reasons or just they have too many players, like Tampa Bay is going to let a very good player go because they just can't protect them all. I don't know what your thoughts on this are, but I think Seattle might be good right off the bat. Well, it's sort of like what Vegas is. I mean, the situation where teams now are trying to, it's not just like protect certain players. It's like let you just dumping salary because there's yeah. going to be without for four years, there'll be no salary cap increase. And you're thinking, I just got to get rid of salary. And so if Seattle's smart and how they put this together, like this could be one of those, we could win now. Like they, they put together a win now team. Vegas did a great job too of getting guys and immediately trading them. Like they knew the value, like we don't need this guy, but this contender might, there's a lot of chess piece. You really need a smart GM to start a hockey team because of how this goes. But 
starting off with Tarasenko, Carey Price, and, and it's probably going to be like Andre Pilat or Alex Kalorn, who we just saw play great for Tampa Bay. You're going to have a, a legitimate front line and a legitimate goalie. So that's that's what you need to to do well. Hopefully, uh, we wish to crack him well because the jerseys are really cool. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> how good they look. And Seattle's a good sports city. You had a great uh, weekend watching racing. Formula One, they had it was a, the Great Britain England Grand Prix. One hundred fifty thousand people were there um, it, for the weekend. They had three hundred forty thousand. When you have Tom Cruise in the pits, Prince William in the pits, and Harrison Ford in the pits, it's, and the first lap, Red Bull has Matthew Verstappen a thirty-two point lead over Mercedes is Hamilton, and they had a sprint. They had a race for the pole position the day before. Verstappen dominated it, so Hamilton knew he had to get the lead on the first lap. That first lap where they ran, it was like the first like two minutes or a minute or whatever. They were battling at neck and neck and neck and neck. And Hamilton had the inside position. It was like the horse race, sort of. And Verstappen came into Hamilton. And Verstappen then crashed the car. And his car went off the road. Hamilton goes out with the lead. And you're like, then they stopped the race. because a terrible accident. Stopped the race. Verstappen ended up being okay. But then they gave Hamilton a 10-second penalty, which I thought was ridiculous. He was like driving his car. Like, what's the purpose of it? You have a Verstappen cut into his lane, his lane. So they gave him a 10-second penalty. He went and had to pit. And then the rest of the, the place, he was Leclerc for Ferrari, had the lead. And you saw Hamilton, like, trying to catch it, catch it. Every lap, he's getting closer and closer and closer. Finally, with two laps to go, he finally passed Leclerc. Like, you're wondering whether this could happen. And it was pretty exciting to see that. And Hamilton now won the race, so he got 25 points. He's only down eight now to Verstappen. But I I think that excitement and the fact that there was, you know, the 150,000 fans there. And then in the NASCAR race in New Hampshire, they'd actually take two weeks off because the Olympics now, there's no cars in the Olympics, but they, because NBC doesn't broadcast. That's why. But I mean, if, if car racing could get become <laughs> Olympic sport, that would be something. But Eric Amarola uh, has his fourth, he's had, listen to this, 374 starts and it only his fourth win. That's amazing. That is great. And now, and, and you win now, you guarantee yourself in a playoff spot. So there's 16 playoff spots and now there's been 13 winners. And uh, But they started the race. It was in New Hampshire. It was pouring down rain and everybody crashed at the beginning of the race and they were like, we should even started this. So they debate, waited for another two hours and then they actually ended. They don't lights there. So they ended the race before the lights, they said, were happened. And it, for Amarola to win, that was a, a pretty amazing win. In fact, you know, fourth out of 374. So, Ira, you're uh, headed to Milwaukee. No ticket, but we're wishing you the best of luck. I need a lot of luck in this. I, I, I gotta. I just. I'm nervous. I, I, I just. I don't know what's gonna happen. I, I, the pricing, it just keeps getting higher. It's just like one of those things where just don't. I can't understand it because I don't. The celebrities aren't buying the tickets, and I just don't think people in Milwaukee would spend that much money yeah. for a game. And it's just like a lot of other things. But uh, I'm excited for this game, and and I just. So we have good news. I think they, next week we might have uh, Michael Red, who was a famous Buck player. Great I think player. we're going to have him on the show. Uh, I was trying to get him this week, but it was really busy and there's a lot of things. So I saw him at the game, and uh, uh, so by next week, let's let's cross our fingers. We have Michael Red on, a four, great Milwaukee Buck player, going to be on the show, and maybe talk about winning the first title in 50 years in Milwaukee. We are out of time. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Iron Sports. <laughs>